Colossians 1. Eleven eighty four. Okay. Let's stand and we're going to, if you'll follow along with me as I read, I'm going to read just the last verses from 24 through the end of the first chapter. If you follow along while I read. I am glad, this is Paul the Apostle writing, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. I hope that strikes you right away, that first sentence. This is Paul saying, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. Writing to the Christians at Colossae. For I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to his own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell his people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. And need to be a part of a secret you're finding out right now? For this is the secret. Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. So everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. We warn them and teach them with all the wisdom God has given us. For we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. And I work very hard at this as I depend upon Christ's mighty power that works within me. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to really embrace your words that we are going to look at this morning. And Father, that you would give us hearts and lives that are passionate to be about representing Jesus like Paul. Let's give this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may sit down. Um, I just want to make a disclaimer right up front this morning that I feel really inadequate to be talking about these verses because I feel that the verses I'm talking about are something that I really haven't experienced. We're going to be talking about persecution and suffering 
And Paul just lets the cat out of the bag right away when he says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. And Paul wasn't talking cheaply. He knew what it meant to suffer. And we're going to read a few verses later as Paul just extensively talks about what he went through, the suffering and the persecution that he went through representing Jesus Christ in a full way to the people that he proclaimed Christ to. Suffering, persecution. I mean, that's what we all avoid, isn't it? I mean, we all pursue comfort in our lives. Why in the world would we want to embrace suffering? Why would we want to even consider persecution, hardship, deprivation, let alone going without our third snack of the day? That that was funny, you know. Let me read you something just to get us started and get us thinking. This is a book called By Their Blood, Christian Martyrs of the 20th Century. And I just want to read you just one little excerpt to get us thinking about the reality of what thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians are going through right now all over the world. This is reality. This is the testimony of the wife of a prominent pastor who was martyred. For almost three months, I followed him from town to town, from prison to prison. Once I drew near to a very long line of banished men, possibly a thousand, thin and haggard, pale and exhausted. They tried to keep in line. Some of them fell, but they were drawn forward by force. Beside them walked their wives and children, heartbroken, but not permitted to help them in any way. The men carried on their shoulders small bundles containing their few belongings. The road led up a mountainside. I thought of our Savior climbing up Calvary's mountain. All the time, I was scanning every face, trying to find my poor husband. At last... Just as we came to the station, I caught a glimpse of him in the crowd. He looked very, very sick and had to be supported by a guard. He saw me too and raised his eyes to heaven, giving me an unspoken message that I would meet him there. Just at that moment, he was roughly pushed by a red guard into a railway freight car. Of course, I could not be admitted to see him. Can you imagine the scene on that platform with hundreds of women and children sobbing convulsively, wringing their hands in distress, some of them falling to earth in a dead faint? I ran from the place as from a cemetery, for I felt sure that I would never again see my husband on earth. It was only the Lord who gave me the strength to bear the awful grief Praise be to the Lord. When I returned home, I knew that my next real danger was the loss of my children. The government had threatened to take them from me. I was ordered not to leave my home and was taxed 500 rubles because my husband was a church leader. Now we are waiting confiscation of our goods because we can't pay the tax. We are expecting every day to become beggars or prisoners, 
But thank the Lord we are free from any fear. We thank him for everything. Amazing. It's amazing. Let's imagine that one of you asks me for help in moving. And so I say, well, when? And you say, well, um, Saturday. And I say, well, isn't that when the football game's on? And you'll say, well, no, it's just after the football game. And I'll say, okay, well, how long is it going to take? And you say, well, I don't think it's going to take that long. I said, well, it's not going to run into my dinner time, is it? They said, well, we could probably work it out that you can make it home for dinner. Well, is it going to be any heavy stuff? I'm not going to have to move any washers and dryers or refrigerators or pianos. Well, we're going to have a lot of people, so you probably don't have to lift the real heavy stuff. Well, am I going to be reimbursed for my gas? I mean, you're not going to need my vehicle also, are you? And if I do, are you going to pay for my gas? Well, I suppose we could do that. What about my time? I mean, I'm, I'm a busy guy. I mean, I work all week long, and I don't really have that much time. Are you going to feed us lunch or at least a snack? (laughs) Will there be others there helping? I mean, this isn't just going to be me, is it? And there are going to be people I get along with, right? You know, about that time, you probably would be ready to blurt out, do you really want to help or not? (laughs) Are you really my friend or not? (laughs) it almost sounds like the question that Jesus asked Peter after he rose from the dead and he was about ready to ascend into heaven and repeatedly he asked Peter do you love me? do you love me? do you really love me? Do you love him? And how would anybody know if we do? A communist, a communist editor confessed, the gospel is a much more powerful weapon for the changing of society than Marxism. Yet it is we who shall conquer you in the end. We communists do not play with words. We are realists. And because we are determined to reach our end, we also know how to provide necessary means. He said of salaries and wages, we keep only what is absolutely necessary and the rest we give for propaganda purposes. To this same propaganda, we devote leisure time and part of our vacation. You, however, give only a little time and scarcely any money for the spreading of Christ's gospel. 
How can anyone, the editor sneered, believe in the all-surpassing value of the gospel if you do not practice it, if you do not spread it, if you sacrifice neither time nor money for that purpose? And the question I want to ask as we come to Colossians chapter 1 this morning is, Do we rightly represent Jesus? Do we, to a watching world that desperately needs to know about Jesus, and I realize that some of you here this morning are part of that watching world that desperately needs to know Jesus, do we rightly represent him? Do our people that we live with, that we work with, that we go to school with, do they really see the real Jesus? Maybe the flip side of the question for those of you that are here this morning and and don't know Jesus, the question that I want you to consider as I go through these verses this morning is, wow, is Jesus really worth all of that? Is he? I want you to look with me. Turn, look back at Colossians chapter 1 as we're going to talk through these few verses and verses like I said before. I feel pretty inadequate to talk about because as I read accounts like that account that I read out of that book and as I read the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, and as I read the account of what is going on right now all over the world, I consider myself a pretty lousy representative of Jesus. As I read in, in the latest issue, this is the Voice of the Martyrs magazine, about what believers in Iran right now, over 500 a month are coming to Christ each month in Iran. That's current news. And they're coming at the cost of their families, their jobs, and even some of them at the cost of their lives. Why in the world would they want to do that? And 500 new ones a month in the country of Iran, a brutally oppressive military dictatorship. And the same is happening in countries like Vietnam and Pakistan and Saudi Arabia and and Egypt and China and Cuba. And it's happening because, and this is the point I want us to get, if you don't get anything else, it's because the believers in those countries are rightly representing Jesus. And people want to know that Jesus that they're representing And they're coming to him, not because they're being told, you know, if you come to Jesus, you won't have to to suffer persecution. You won't have to go through suffering. But they're honestly telling them, you come to Christ and you might lose everything. And you might lose your life. But he's worth it. He's worth it. I wonder how many of us really believe that this morning that we'd be willing to lose our reputations like Jesus. He was of no reputation. That we'd be willing to be despised and rejected and, 
and a man of sorrows and suffering. And that's, that's Jesus. Those are words that were spoken about Jesus in Isaiah 53. How many of us would be willing to not only sacrifice, you know, it's almost the initial illustration I gave. It, it was almost, it was silly. But in some ways it's sad how closely that is like we are in our relationship to Jesus. Well, if it doesn't cost me any money, don't pass the plate. Don't expect my time. I'm a busy guy. Don't expect me to, you know, to, to sacrifice or to suffer. You know, as long as it's comfortable, then I'll call myself a Christian. And we know nothing about Jesus Christ. And we aren't representing the real Jesus to the world. Look at what Paul says here. I am glad, verse 24, I am glad. Paul considers persecution a privilege. Before we read on, just look back at 2 Corinthians 11. With, would, would you with me? 2 Corinthians 11, page 1162. If you have this Bible. This is what Paul is going through when he says it's a privilege to pers- be persecuted. 2 Corinthians 11, I'm going to start down at verse 23. The bottom of the page. They say they serve Christ. He's talking about false apostles. He says, I know I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. And listen to what Paul says. I have worked harder, been put in jail more often, been whipped times without number, faced death again and again, five different times The Jews gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled many weary miles. I have faced danger from flooded rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the stormy seas. I have faced danger from men who claim to be Christians but are not. I have lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and I have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold without without enough clothing to keep me warm. That's what Paul means when he says, I... I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. It almost sounds masochistic, doesn't it? (laughs) I am glad when I suffer for you in my body. And this is the phrase I want you to get. This is the heart of this paragraph. For I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. I am completing what remains of Christ's sufferings for his body, the church. In the New American Standard, Paul Paul says, I do my part on behalf of his body in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's suffering. What is Paul's part that he's doing and the part that Paul is insinuating, I believe, that each one of us should do as he's writing to the Colossian believers. What is this part? Well, what we know, first of all, and I want to just make it really clear, is the word here is persecutions. It has nothing to do with the redemptive suffering of Christ. 
there was nothing that was lacking in what Christ accomplished on the cross as it made really clear throughout all the scriptures. Read Romans, read Hebrews. Christ once and for all satisfied and settled the issue of sin on the cross when he said, it is finished, paid in full. There's nothing else to pay. So what was was Paul's part in filling up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions? Turn with me to John 15, okay? You can keep your finger in there, but we're going to look at just a couple verses to help us understand this. John 15. Page 1066. Look down at verse 18. John 15, 18. Paul says, When the world hates you, Sorry, this is John, not Paul. John says, Jesus is right. Jesus says, when the world hates you, remember it hated me before it hated you. Okay? This is Jesus talking to his disciples. The world would love you if you belonged to it, but you don't. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. Meaning it rejects you. It doesn't want anything to do with you because you don't fit in. You don't find it fun. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He says, you don't, and maybe for us today, Jesus would be saying, you shouldn't find fun. What the world finds fun, because the world hates me, Jesus said, and rejected me and despised me and killed me. Because I didn't fit into the world. Jesus says, I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. The people of the world will hate you because you belong to me, for they don't know God who sent me. Does that speak true about you and about me? In James chapter 4, it says, Jesus says, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of Jesus because Jesus was rejected by the world. So how can we represent Jesus as friends of the world? Turn with me to 2 Timothy, if you would. 2 Timothy. Page 1201 in this Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 10. Paul says, Timothy, you know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patient endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord delivered me from it all. Paul's saying the same thing. Timothy, you know my life. This is how I lived. What I considered a privilege, the persecution that I endured, verse 12, Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will 
suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to represent the real Jesus in a world that doesn't accept the real Jesus will be persecuted. One more verse, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Like I said, I I kind of feel inadequate (coughs) talking about this, and I also realize that probably most of us are uncomfortable hearing this. John chapter 12, page 1062. John chapter 12, verse 20. Some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to attend the Passover paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we want to see Jesus. We want to meet Jesus. You know, there are people all over this community that want to see Jesus. They might not know that. They might think, I just want to be happy. I just want to find meaning in life. I just want purpose. I want... I want joy, I want satisfaction, I want, I want hope. That's Jesus. They want to see Jesus. They want, we want to see Jesus. And Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. And Jesus replied, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory. The truth is... A kernel of wheat must be planted into the soil, and unless it dies, it will be alone, a single seed, but its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who are after getting what they can out of this world and all of its pleasures and lusts and desire, they'll lose it. You'll lose it. Those who despise their life in this world who will keep it for life eternal. All those who want to be my disciples must come and follow me because my servants must be where I am. And Jesus says the same thing in every one of the Gospels. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, he must forget about himself, herself, take up your cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to really represent Jesus? Flip back to Colossians chapter 1, please, to really represent Jesus. What Paul is simply saying here is what Jesus said repeatedly in the Gospels is that our calling as Christians, as followers of Christ, is the cross. Our privilege is persecution. That's what Paul says. I'm glad. I think often there's two basic teachings in the scriptures about why suffering. Why we experience suffering. The first, I think, is captured beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul says, I delight in weakness and difficulty and tribulation and persecution because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And Paul says one of the values of suffering and persecution is personal because it brings me to the end of myself and it makes me look up and cling to Christ 
and be strong when I'm weak. To acknowledge my weakness and find my strength in him. And I think that's what we mostly think about when we think about biblical suffering. But what this passage is teaching is to me the flip side of the coin and it's the value not of personally suffering for our own refining and maturing and growing Christ, but it's for those around us. It's not just to be refined ourselves, but it's to represent the Jesus that others need to see. The Jesus that is worth everything. He's worth my life. He's worth my death. He's worth, he's worth my paycheck. He's worth my time, my energy. He's worth me losing because what I have to gain is eternal life in him. Let's read on. Verse 25, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his message in all its fullness to you Gentiles. How many times do we cheat people out of the fullness of the gospel? They don't see the real Jesus, the Jesus that is worth everything, our life, not just our words, but our very breath. I love how Paul ends the verse 23, just before this paragraph starts and how he repeats it here, he uses twice the word servant. It's the word bondservant. See, this isn't something that Paul feels coerced to do, but something he voluntarily has chosen and eagerly has embraced because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Look at verse 26. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to his own holy people. For it has pleased God to tell his people that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you. Us here. I believe probably all of us here today are what are called Gentiles. It's for us too. It's not just for God's people, the nation of Israel that he called out of Egypt and formed to be a nation to represent him to the world. But it's for everyone. That's the secret. That's the amazing thing. That Christ in us is the hope of glory. Look at For this is the secret. Christ lives in you. If you know Jesus, if you've accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins on the cross and the victory that he brought about when he rose from the it's you. it's for you. Christ lives in you. And you know, Paul is excited about that because in, in, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, you know, he said, I, I thought I had it all. I was a Pharisee. I, was, I, was a, I kept the law. I thought I was blameless. I, I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do. But it was still all his effort that he knew fell short. But the truth, the secret here is that Christ is in us and that's our hope of glory. To me, that's what separates as I was thinking about this and I don't know how your thinking goes, but as I was thinking about suffering and persecution and what it means to really represent Jesus, my mind went to suicide bombers. Maybe that's a little skewed, but I think it's a fair question. What's the difference between what Paul is talking about here, the privilege of being persecuted for Jesus, and a suicide bomber. 
someone who straps dynamite around their body and walks into a bus or into a crowded marketplace and gives their life for a cause. And, the, and that cause is drawing young men and women by the thousands. People want something that's of value, don't they? We want to fo- follow something that has meaning and purpose. That's why so many of us are dissatisfied. So many of us are trying to find our happiness through, I'm going to step over the line here, you know, by staying up all night chatting on Facebook or doing Twitter or, you know, I'm just, you know, you know playing video games and smoking pot and getting drunk and buying stuff and keeping busy is because we're just so... We, we don't have me- we need meaning in life. We were made for meaning, for life, for purpose. And that is why young men and women by the thousands are strapping dynamite around their bodies and giving their lives for a cause is because there's something that they think is worth dying for. Most of us don't even have something that seems like we have worth living for. What's the difference? The difference is in that verse right there, and I want you to see it really clearly. This is the secret. Christ lives in you, and this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. Why did suicide bombers in World War II and young men and women today strapping dynamite around their bodies. Why are they doing it? They're doing it because they're guaranteed the assurance of eternal life. That's why they're doing it. They're doing it because they've been brainwashed by evil people that if they die in the act of a holy war, they're going to go to heaven. What a great marketing tool to get people to do what you want them to do. But you know the good news is we're not being asked to give our lives to attain eternal life. We're being told we should be willing to give our lives because we've been given life. The guarantee of life. Christ is in us. That's our hope. We have hope and we should be wanting to tell everybody that and be willing to go through anybody, anything to represent that because we have life. Christ has paid for our life. And so Paul says, everywhere we go, we tell everyone about Christ. He says, we warn them and we teach them with all the wisdom of God to give us for we want to present them to God Perfect, complete, mature in their relationship to Christ. And he says, I work very hard at this. The, the word literally is the word agony. Paul says, I agonize over this. I suffer for this. I'm persecuted for this. I go without food for this. I give everything for this. Because Jesus is worth it. That's the bottom line. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. 
Is Jesus worth it to you? How much is he worth to you? I mean, go back to the first illustration. Is he worth, well, if it doesn't cost me any money? If I can be selfish with, with all of my time? If it doesn't mean any sacrifice, if it doesn't mean going without, without food, if it doesn't mean being embarrassed or, or mocked or made fun of, if it doesn't mean... What is Jesus worth to you? And that's really why Paul comes to the end of Colossians chapter 1 with these few words because Paul has made it clear through the whole chapter of Colossians 1 that Jesus is worth it. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He created all things. He upholds all things. He redeemed and reconciled us who were enemies to himself so that we could be friends of God and brought into relationship with him and and have hope of eternity. Is he worth it? Do we really know the Jesus that Paul is talking about? If we do, then there's nothing that we shouldn't be willing to do for him. That's what C.T. Studd said, uh, a young man who gave his life on the continent of Africa, died there as a missionary, went to China first as a missionary, the most famous athlete in all of England at the time. He was a cricket player, wealthy, extremely famous, and he gave it all up to go to China when he found out who Jesus was. And he said, Jesus is worthy of my all. And he went to, went to China, kicked out of China when the communists came in and went to Africa, started a mission there and died on, in Africa. And he said, if Jesus is really God and if he really died on the cross for my sins... There's nothing too much that I shouldn't be willing to do for him. Is that the Jesus that we're representing in our neighborhoods? On our jobs, at school, a Jesus that there's nothing too much that I wouldn't be willing to do for him? You know, I think for us it's maybe coming back and remembering who the real Jesus really is. just want to share one more thing here. This is out of the the magazine, Voice of the Martyrs. And it's something, it's from a book called With God in Solitary Confinement by Richard Wormbrand, who started Voice of the Martyrs. Spent a total of 14 years in Romanian prisons, two of it in solitary confinement for 14 years, tortured, beat, deprived. He said, I once tried to explain systematic theology to a Russian pastor of the underground church who had never seen a whole New Testament. And he said, systematically, I began to explain to him the teaching about the Godhead, about its unity in three persons, the teaching about original sin, about the fall, about salvation, about the church, about the sacraments, about the Bible as infallible revelation. Okay, just trying to 
help this guy understand who had never seen a whole Bible, kind of a systematic understanding of the Bible. He said, the pastor listened attentively, and when I had finished, he asked me a most surprising question. Have those who thought out these theological systems and wrote them down in such perfect order ever carried a cross? He went on, a man cannot think systematically even when he has a bad toothache. True? Man, you got a bad toothache. It's hard to think clearly about anything. How can a man who is carrying a cross think systematically? But a Christian has to be more than the bearer of a heavy cross. He shares Christ's crucifixion. That's what we represent, a crucified and risen Savior. The pains of Christ are his, are they? And the pains of all creation, are they? There, there is no grief and no suffering in the world which should not grieve him. If a man is crucified with Christ, how can he think systematically? Can there be that kind of thought on a cross? Jesus himself thought unsystematically on the cross. He began with forgiveness. And then he spoke of paradise in which even a robber had a place. And then he despaired that perhaps there might not even be a place in paradise for him, the Son of God. He felt himself forsaken. His thirst was so unbearable that he asked for water. And then he surrendered his spirit into his Father's hand. But there followed no serenity, only a loud cry. Thank you for what you have been trying to teach me. But I have the impression that you were only repeating without much conviction what others have taught you. A Christian is a person who is madly in love with Jesus Christ. You know, I wonder if we who hear in a systematic way so often an explanation of the truths of the scripture, important truths, systematic truths. There's nothing wrong with systematic truths, but everything's become so organized and systematic and, and truth that we believe up here that, that it's not truth that's sunk down here. Are we people that are madly in love with Jesus Christ? Are we just people that believe words with our heads? Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead and, and not impacted like C.T. Stead. If he's really God, the God of the universe who created everything, came down and became a baby and, was suff- and suffered and was rejected and despised and died for us. Is there anything that we should be willing to do for him? Is that the Jesus we're representing? I believe that's the Jesus that Paul said he was representing. What part are you playing in representing Jesus to the world around you? Do they see Jesus? Are you playing your part in representing in your neighborhood the real Jesus, the Jesus that is worth your all, not just your hobby?
Not just your Sunday. Not just a dollar bill. Not just... If you turn with me to Revelation, I'm going to read one last verse and I'm done. Revelation chapter 6. As we come to the end of time, the book of Revelation, there's a really powerful little paragraph here in Revelation chapter 6, page 1251. Revelation 6, starting at verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, this is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their witness. And they called loudly to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will it be before you judge the people who belong to this world for what they have done to us? When will you avenge our blood against these people? And then a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, had been martyred. That's what Paul's talking about in Colossians chapter 1. In completing that which is remaining of Christ's suffering, those of us who call ourselves Christians, followers of Christ, representatives of him, who are willing to play our part. And it might not be our part to be a martyr, to die. But as Paul told Timothy, all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, to be like Jesus, will suffer persecution. What will that look like to us who really want to represent (coughs) Jesus? What will it mean like in time in terms of sacrifice, suffering? I don't know. The starting point is, I think, really us asking ourselves the question, is Jesus worth it? Man, is he? Is he to you? And let's just determine afresh like Paul to be willing to do anything, to give anything, to go anywhere, to give up anything, to represent the real Jesus to people who need to know what he has to offer. Let's pray. Father, these are hard words because we are people who like comfort and at all costs avoid pain inconvenience, sacrifice, suffering. Father, I pray for our our brothers and sisters around the world, brothers and sisters in countries where we can't publicly do what we are doing right now, and if they did it, they'd be beat up or, or tortured or put in prison or put to death. Father, I pray for your grace for them, as they ask us to pray for them, for your grace for them, not that you would take them out of suffering, but that they would truly represent you in the midst of it. That others might see and hope in the Jesus who offers life. Father, I pray for them and I pray for us that you would help us who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus 
to rightly represent Him. However you would call us to do that, today, tomorrow, for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.